A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong. But we're first. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex Podcast. That's right. I do two things. We like to bring you a revolving panel of experts and fan voices from every corner of the F1 experience. But we have a returning regular today for the first time in 2022. For those that don't know Joe, he's one of the most experienced motorsport journalists in the world and has attended every race since 1998. Welcome back to the shed, Uncle Joe. 88. What did I say? (laughs) You said 98. I've made that mistake before. always do that. Yeah, Yeah, I've made that mistake before. It means I'm 10 years older than you think I am. So there you are. How's things in Joe Sayward world? How's 2021 hitting you? 2022 hitting you so far? Uh, It's been fine. Apart from Russians invading my internet lines, it's been fine. I did have some problems with that. So um, that's uh, why you've not been here. Yeah. That's why I couldn't do anything because basically my internet blew up. Or somebody blew up my internet. Let's put it the other way around. <laughs> anyway, there we are. Lots of people were concerned that we'd have had a, a falling out. The you know because you've you've fallen out with podcasts before, Joe. And I had to reassure everyone. No, 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 no. no, no I haven't fallen out with podcasts. Podcasts have fallen out with me. I had to reassure everyone. <laughs> no, Joe Sayward is still my close personal friend. In in fact, we're even planning a holiday to Las Vegas together next year. Isn't that right, are Joe? We? Okay. Well, I'm going there. I don't know about you. But, I, um, I'm reading between the lines. But why yeah. Why are we going to uh, Las Vegas? Because that's where the next Grand Prix announcement is going to be from. Well, actually, it's not. Probably the next now will probably be from Doha, saying that they're replacing the Russian Grand Prix this year. But then there will be an announcement soon afterwards saying that we're going to Vegas in 23. And in fact, we'll go on Thanksgiving weekend. So, oh, wow. Um, and the race will be on Saturday night, US time. 
See, unusually that, for a Grand Prix. So that's amazing, really, because then there's no hint of them pandering to to European times. They're like, nope, we'll put it on when it suits us. No, that's not the case at all, because the race is being promoted by guess who? Formula One, not by local promoter. So um, can you explain are, the difference to me? Sorry. Yes. A, a local promoter is somebody who says, I'll be the promoter and pays Formula One and collects money for everyone he can collect it from. So the local government sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. Formula One is going to do that role and keep all the money as opposed to the race promoter uh-huh. who pays a fee and then tries to make a profit. Oh, I see that. So that's an, an important, interesting difference. So this is F1 have said themselves, we want this race but, in Vegas. They, they haven't said anything yet. Oh, I'm this is telling, a, I, I'm telling you what's going to happen. You haven't, they haven't said a word. Oh, this is a Joeism. <laughs> so all yeah, those reports I've seen about the Las Vegas Grand Prix, are you the source? It's all come from you. No, there's a, there's a guy in the States who's quite uh, well connected in Vegas by the sound of it, and he's getting stuff too. But we're getting different stuff, which is interesting. And somebody recently I saw had published a map of the circuit. It's completely wrong. But, ah, because it, um, it looked terrible, that map. Well, it, it, just because it's not right. Uh, it's actually it, it's actually the same bit of the strip they use, but on the other side. So if you want me to give you details of exactly where the track will go, it will go down from Caesar's Palace, down past the Bellagio Fountains on the right, down to the next junction, which I think is by a thing called the Cosmopolitan. Then it will go round to the left. Um, yeah. Yeah, fast left. And then it will go, we're not entirely sure of exactly how it'll go, but if you look on a map, you'll find there's lots of areas there which um, are empty, um, and it will work its way north until it arrives near the MSG, I think it's called MSG, the MSG sphere, which is this brimming great sphere thing that they're just finishing building. And the track will then go whizzing round the whole of that in a 180-degree turn and then go back along Sands Avenue to win Las Vegas, and then it will turn left onto the Strip. There can, you go. Can someone in the patron Slack group who's been listening to that, can you just draw us a quick map and we'll, we'll get something thrown up there uh, this really it's a bit diffi- it's, a, it's a bit difficult to say exactly where it's going to go when it goes off the strip because there's lots of possibilities and they're going to build a pit area somewhere in there because there's loads of parking lots and stuff but they they need to sort of figure out the details and i don't know the tiny little bits i mean i know pretty much everything else so i'm not doing too badly but all the sort of fiddly bits um i'm not entirely sure of the actual routing but you know if you look on a map you can see it's fairly um there's lots of choices anyway so the brits are going to have to be watching this at i think 3 a.m in the morning and no I don't... no 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 why do you think 3 a.m i don't know time zones are hard and pointless no no, no. but if you start at 10 o'clock at night yeah and race till midnight then you're oh. getting up to a, a sensible kind of um i don't know but you know the thing is Having a, a race anywhere on the west coast of the United States of America or on the western mm. side of the United States of America is always a, a bit of a problem because of time zones. But if you go late enough, you can get early morning in Europe and then you can get the whole of Asia and Middle East at sensible times. So the best time to do it is about 10 o'clock at night. So if you're at 10 o'clock at night, add seven hours to that, um, five or maybe six in the morning, depending on um, – I mean, to be honest, because it all changes with these silly um, uh, time changes. And I haven't sort of sat down and worked it out, which that will be. But um, anyway, it'll be early in the morning in in Britain. It'll be less early in the morning in Europe. It'll be um, mid-morning in the Middle East. And in Asia, it will be lunchtime Hmm. on Sunday. Because if you race on Sunday as normal, everything will be on Monday and nobody will watch because they'll all be at work. Yeah, the Australians just take Monday off to watch Grand Prix. That's what... 
That's they, they well, do they have to just... take they have to take twenty two weeks off then, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's another race in Murica in America land, a deliberate mm-hmm. push by by F one. So that's going to be you know Miami, Cota, Las Vegas. What what have I missed? Yeah. Canada, Mexico, and Brazil. They're all in the same time zone. Right, okay. Close to the same time zones, the Americas. You've missed you missed something else. There will be another one, I'm sure. Tell me what that is. Well, I don't know, but I, I did hear of one in Colombia, which sounds very serious and very sensible. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the problem is that most of the countries in the Americas beyond the US um, and Canada and Mexico are either too poor or politically unstable. Um, so, you know, it'd be lovely to go racing in Argentina, for example, but they can't do it. So apparently there's there's a thing going down in Colombia, which could happen. And we'll have oh. to see there's an election coming up uh, in a presidential election in Colombia next month, I think. And then we will know if the man who's got the idea is going to actually um, be successful. But the chances are he will because Colombians like racing cars. Yeah, racing cars are brilliant. Stuart points out a potential problem that they won't be allowed to show what happens in Vegas because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's going to be That's a difficult... the old slogan. Oh, is That's it? The old What's slogan? the new one? Family place now. It's, is it? It's, you know, yes, come and meet clowns and eat sandwiches and I'm, jelly. I'm no, not... It's, it's, not, it's not the old Vegas where you get gunned down and murdered and, and hookers and the rest of it. This is the new Vegas, family Vegas, because um, basically gambling is not cool anymore. Um and you can gamble everywhere because the state's laws have been, they haven't changed exactly, but there are a lot more casinos than there used to be in the US now. Mm. And so uh, Vegas is, uh, needs to change its image a little bit and become more family friendly. That's ruined my, my steak and blackjack Lots of plan. sporting events, yeah. sp- sporting events and conventions. That's what they're really big at. But they have to fill 150,000 hotel rooms. So it's quite serious business, really. Okay, so people are concerned there's too much Americanness track-wise. Is there too much? Why? Why? I don't, I don't know. know. If you have if you divide, the, divide the world into three time zones, you have the Americas, you have uh, Europe, Middle East, uh, Africa, and you have Asia and the Oceania, or whatever you want to call it. Um, right now, Europe's got far too many. It's got more than its fair share. Now, okay, Formula One grew up in Europe, but that doesn't mean it has to always only be in Europe. Um, and there are places where Formula One has been for many, many years, like South Africa, for example, that aren't on the calendar at the moment. So we've got, we've got four in the Middle East. We've got seven, eight, nine, ten in Europe. Mm. And we're going to lose some more European ones for sure. Yeah, no one complains that there's like three races in Italy, but people seem to be getting upset about the American races. No, no, no. But you see, the, the thing is that Europeans uh, are Eurocentric. I mean, I, and I include in Europeans, British people, um, although perhaps I shouldn't. But basically, they all think that Formula One should belong to them and not to the whole world, um, which is a bunch of tosh, really, because Formula One has grown beyond that. Mm. It used to be a European thing, but now it's global. So, um, you know, they want to be big in China. And really, they should have two races in China. If it's based on population, Europe drops down to a very considerably smaller group of people. And we don't go to places like Baku either, but um, minor point. You know, Monaco drops off the map completely, actually, which could happen, which could happen. Good. Because, you know, there's no contract. Is there? There's no contract. There's no contract. For Monaco and Formula One, well, there, there isn't a contract this year actually, but they've done a one-year deal, which is why, which is why they've managed to get rid of the Thursday practice. So this could be the because last Monaco. It could be. 
Yay. The trouble is they're having they're having difficulty negotiating a new deal. The last deal was done 11 years ago by Bernie Eccleston and a man called Michel Boeri, who is now 83, and Bernie Eccleston is uh, somewhere near 100. I don't know. No, he's not. He's 19, 19 one and a half, I think. Um, but basically they think, or Mr. Boeri thinks that Monaco is always going to be part of the calendar and doesn't want to budge on his demands, mm. whereas Formula One has things it doesn't like about Monaco, like the very tatty advertising hoardings the uh not very good hospitality um mm. arrangements the the uh the track well the track is another question and also the race fee because monaco's always had a cheap fee because uh-huh. it thinks it's more important than all the other races and i think they need to understand that it's probably not as important as all the other races anymore because we've got races that are not as big as monaco necessarily in terms of I mean, in terms of European thinking, Monaco is always going to be the biggest thing. If you go to Asia, Singapore is the coolest place. And Monaco is some distant thing that people have heard about. And in America, you know, yeah, Monaco is cool because Monaco's yeah, Monaco, you know. They used to show it on ABC. But um, there's, some, there's some discussions required, but all the other people are doing their deals rapidly and there's nothing happening at Monaco. So I, I can foresee a situation. We're going to have a news story at some point saying, you know, is Monaco under threat? Everyone else will sort of catch up with this or somebody will say something that indicates that this is the case. But right now, after this year's race, there's no contract. And of course, both of them kind of rely on each other because Monaco without Formula One isn't nearly as cool as Monaco is with Formula One. And Formula One with Monaco without Monaco isn't anywhere near as cool as Formula One with Monaco. So they just need to find a, a balance. Um, I don't know if they will, but mm. they do need also to change the racetrack because it's, it's just the not dire. Well, we, we, maybe this year mm-hmm. with the, with the new overtaking possibilities. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe, maybe, but they, no, probably not. Yeah, probably not. The trouble is there isn't, there isn't a whole lot they can do apart from, no, there's some stuff they can do down on the Harbour. Um, around the piscine that they can play with some corners there to create an overtaking possibility. I think, but, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, the modern cars, isn't it? And it's it's just, it's gone on so long that the race is without rain, and unless they can just manufacture some rain. What did the Chinese do? Did they, they dispersed clouds? Is there, an, is there a something you can do to send up in the air to make clouds? Yes, there is. Absolutely. Is there? You, can, you can sprinkle the clouds with mercury or something. Ah, let's do that. that makes them- I see no downsides. Good. We've solved that one. Monaco in the wet is completely fine. Uh, it's a bit dull to watch, though. It's awful yeah, in the wet, wet it was too. all right. If you're, yeah. if, you're out in the, if you're out in the spectator area, I was at Monaco in the wet in 1984. And while it mm. was a fantastic race and a very famous race, and a chap called Senna did awfully well, and a chap called Beloff was extraordinary, um, it was thoroughly miserable being <laughs> there. I don't think I've ever been as wet in my life as I was at the end of that race. So mm. it was it was really, truly horrible. I had to wring myself out completely. Can I, before we leave tracks, can you just briefly mention Africa? Is that becoming more of a possibility now? Uh, it's, it's a possibility as soon as the South Africans can have a settled enough situation. I mean, they financially, they're, they're beginning to recover. They were going to do it, but there were some, there were some electricity crises going on. There's political problems as well, but things are beginning to solve themselves. And the president, Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa, is a mad Formula One fan. And I know this to be true. It's not fake news because I met him at the last South African Grand Prix when he was a, an advisor to Mr. Nelson Mandela. Um, and Mr. Bernard Ecclestone introduced me to Mr. Um, Ramaphosa and said, yeah. you should talk to this bloke. Oh, really? <laughs> so, 
Yeah. And I wrote his name down because I was impressed by him and I knew he was mad about Formula One. And I've been following his career ever since and blow me down if he didn't become the president. So, um, <laughs> local, so I know local he's quite, lad done good. <laughs> yeah. He, well, he's very passionate. He's very yeah. intelligent. Um, and he's just gradually working his way through all the problems. But as soon as he can do it, yes, we'll go to we'll go to Carlami. Oh, excellent. Um, because you're right. We should only go to places that are super settled and uh, and safe, Joe, right? Well, it, that is is better than some places. Okay, so we're going to get to it now. I, I don't want to like dwell. We're going to try and stick to kind of the things that were involved in Formula One from last weekend. But our listeners do have an awful lot of questions for you, Joe, particularly around kind of the Friday. So I, I've just picked a few of them out, and I think a lot of it's what happened with... on the Friday. What happened on the Friday? Uh, a lot of people are curious about the relationship between really the drivers and the GDPA and kind of what power they have. So I'll just read a couple of mm-hmm. the questions here. So, uh, Joe, Nathan's asking, do you have any more information of what happened Friday in those meetings with the driver of, uh, and the management, and what was the the thing that uh, convinced people to stay? And Paddy said, there's still talk of going back to Saudi. Do you think the drivers will take a, a stand about not going there because there was a threat to that you might struggle to leave the country? That wouldn't have sat well with me at all. And I know this has some history with the WWE. Well, I, don't, I don't think that's. I don't. I think that's a. Uh, fake was that news. a misnomer? Was it okay? Okay. I, I didn't hear anything of the of the sort. Um, I think the problem leaving the country would have been everybody trying to do it at the same time. I'd already decided if the race gets called off, I'm just going to go back on the original flight anyway because oh, it'd be see. such a mess to get out otherwise. Kick your if, feet. If everybody up. wants to change. There's only so many flights, so. You know, that mm. may be somebody getting... Yeah, there was an awful lot of crap written and um, and tweeted and whatever the other things Hot are. Takes, yeah. Um, about what was going on. But um, and I don't think there was very very much coercion involved. It's up... To, you know, if the drivers don't want to race, that's up to them. If the race goes ahead without them, the reserve drivers are happy to step in. So that immediately puts another um, spin on the whole thing, which is... Why? Why should the drivers decide what we do? Are they are they aware of the geopolitical problems involved? Are okay. they more aware? That, are they more aware than Stefano Domenicali? No, they're not. No, they're not. So that would be the tail wagging the dog, wouldn't it? And to be quite honest, I don't think that the drivers should have. I don't think the drivers should have that power because they don't know as much as Stefano Domenicali does. Now we have to trust that Stefano Domenicali uses the information he has in in a good way, but I think he's a pretty trustworthy guy to be honest uh that's my opinion of him anyway and i would i would rather make it uh, rely on decisions made by him rather than a bunch of drivers who half of them don't live in the real world anyway and and the other half is you know, why why should they have that power you're a hard man mr saywood but they... no i'm not i'm not a hard man i'm just it, it's basically the truth of the matter is why should they have that power yes they're the stars but do the stars should the stars stop a theater operating if they, you know, because they're not happy with the, you know, the, the yeah. roof might fall in on their theatre or something. I mean, the it's a difficult one in a way because yes, a, a, a an explosive laden drone or a missile landed on an oil tank five miles. Everybody else, anyone who wasn't there got the uh, got the distance wrong because uh, they used Google directions and that that told them the route the the route the road route as opposed mm. to as the crow flies five miles away. That's a long way. You know, um, if you grew up in London in the 1980s 
or 70s, we were regularly being bombed. Things were regularly blowing up. Life didn't stop. You just went on and did it, okay? You were a little bit perhaps nervous, apprehensive. And maybe if you're going Christmas shopping, you didn't go Christmas shopping in the West End. But, you know, life goes on. And um, there, there's no way, there's no logic in the concept that these rebels would blow up the race. It's absolutely against their interest. Joe, you've reminded me. You've, 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 sent, you've, you've sent me back to like the eighties <laughs> and nineties, and you're absolutely right. Like there, there was a constant bomb threat. A, a car bomb went mm. off on my road, and it was like a curiosity almost. It was like, oh, it, that was close. You know, we felt it. It went that was close. So yeah, people on the ground. I, I nearly to... got. I nearly got blown up twice on the same day, mm. and uh, I saw what a bomb does, and it's not nice. And uh, so I did some crazy things after that. But that's another story. <laughs> so. Look, I, I'm not quite where you are. I think the drivers are entitled to an opinion. And, and I think it would have been a disaster for the spectacle and the sport if a, a, a lot of the top line drivers had just decided to go. So I can imagine why they wanted to persuade them rather than sort of force them to. Do we know what was said to them? to make? Can I, them... Can I, can I leap in here? And say, sure. I didn't say they can't have an opinion. Mm. I just don't think they should have the dominant opinion. They should have, like every other stakeholder, they should have their opinion, which they're allowed to voice. But what about the sponsors? What about the TV companies? What about the race promoters? What about everybody else? You know, just because they drive racing cars doesn't mean that they should make the decisions. And that's the point I'm making. The mm-hmm. FIA should be involved in all this, but at the moment, it seems to be they're a little absentee in lots of ways. But, um, you know, they will probably get better as time goes by as they get their feet under the table more. But, you know, the fact is, if we're not going to go to Saudi again, we have to judge it on a sensible, non-emotional um, way in a, in a calm environment. So, yes, they have the right to a voice, but they shouldn't have the predominant voice. No, and, and you do have to kind of yield to local intelligence and your, your the, the people who've got the information, and I'm assuming that's what happened to get them to all, quote-unquote, agree. I'm assuming they got intelligence and assurances and were satisfied by that. Uh, yes, intelligence assurance is all very well, you know, but um, there, there are already patriot defence um, walls in place and once something got through. Now, why it got through, how it got through uh, is neither here nor there. It did get through. Um, so anyone giving guarantees that the patriot <laughs> anti-missile, yeah. anti-drone war will work, it's hard to convince them. However, if they had a political officer, yeah, I don't know, Formula One, they used to have a guy who did security stuff, but if you if you actually just take a step back out of the sport and you look at it, there is absolutely no interest in the in the in the Hooties blowing up the Grand Prix. What you want to do is blow up something near a Grand Prix that is an infrastructure element in Saudi Arabia. Guess what? That's what they did. And then they cleverly <laughs> declared a ceasefire for the three days over the weekend, um, <clears throat> which meant that nobody had to worry about them lobbing another one in so they made their point they got the coverage what it did it showed it shows how powerful formula one is as a means of of sending messages and you can do this on google you know you you just go to google and and type news and then type well get it on the news element and just type ferrari and see how many mentions come up of the car company as opposed to the racing team oh interesting it's amazing no well it is because basically Formula One gets coverage that other stuff doesn't get. So if you blow up a bomb near a Formula One track, 
then you're going to get coverage for your cause worldwide. Oh, okay, okay. Before we get into like a tactical help guide for anyone planning future <laughs> attacks, um, perhaps we can just talk about the track itself because this was supposed to be the last year of this track. I don't like it. I wince. You know, you can call me precious or soft all you want, but uh, I was looking forward to this track never being used again. Is that still the case? No. No? It's going to be I used again? I, I, I don't believe so. I mean, if they're building a new circuit, it should be half finished by now. Oh, okay, good. So we won't. So, so they're probably, I mean, as I haven't seen anything suggesting that the new thing has got beyond, got to bulldoze a stage. Uh, I can't imagine. I think, I think the original plan was for three years anyway. But we'll have to see what, I mean, they're going to spend a pile of money for a place near Riyadh, uh, out in the wilds a bit, so not downtown. Um, whether it will be better, worse, whatever, I don't know. But, you know, it's also a question of, um, yes, there are certain elements of this track that are quite dangerous because it's fast and there are blind corners. Yep. And we saw, we saw an element of that when Mick Schumacher crashed. But, Ooh. you know, you can have big crashes in Baku too, um, but you don't hear them complaining about the dangers of Baku. So just do you have any insight on, on Mick Schumacher? Because obviously he missed the race. He was up and about and he was walking. What's the procedure to decide, uh, you know, and is that going to bleed over into Australia? No, I don't think so. I mean, oh, yeah. he had a very big hit in terms of G-forces. I don't know the number exactly, but it was a big hit. And then the car was in a – actually, apparently the chassis was all right, Um everything else had sort of fallen off it, but the chassis itself was not broken. So uh, there's probably a question of, of um, insurance and concussion and these kind of things that the team decided, no, we're not going to have him race and they not replace him. Um, probably because it's better to have a look at the car, x-ray it and things like that. Yeah. Um, I, to mm. be honest, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't surprised by that because driver chassis combination it's better to be safe than sorry it makes you it makes you not hate runoff as much though doesn't it when you see an impact like that um yeah i suppose so but it mm. is there's an element to which uh i mean i know it sounds horrid and all the rest of it but you know that's a little bit what racing is about it's about it's it's quite it's, it's agree, a bit like spa Joe. it's a bit like spa you know why if we're living in a world where nobody can hurt themselves why do we go to spa anymore but may i counter we do get rid of other low hanging fruit when it comes to safety halo helmets right. hands devices yeah. so why not take the obviously very dangerous track elements and and do without them well you can do that but i think in terms of Jeddah, there's there's a space problem in in as much as there was a space problem at Imola as well, um, you know at Tamburello, uh, there there is a stream that runs behind the racetrack on the outside there. They could never extend the runoff areas, so um, that's you know they had to then put a chicane in to to slow the cars down in that part of the track to get it safe again. Um, so yeah, you can do it, but um, I think if you're on one of these, you have to balance practicality cost um and all these other elements to it um and you also have to say that formula one is about heroes it's about what people watch it for is heroism and skill and 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 people like having heroes and they don't want nobody wants to see anyone get hurt but they want to see somebody doing something they can't do so for you, and you now, need, nowadays, um, not mm. nowadays, half the generation play these computer games and think they can do anything. 
and when they get in a proper race car, they realize they can't. But that's another question, you know, because there's, there's an element of fear you don't get when you're playing a computer game. Okay, I just for the record, before people email, for me, I'd, if you took all the danger out of it, I'd enjoy the sporting element. That's not a thing for me. I don't need them there to be a chance they could die. I just, I don't need that. And I don't know if people do need that. That's your kink. No, I'm no, not but that, nobody needs that. But it is, it is always something that you have to bear in mind when you're pushing the barriers of physics. Yeah. That's what happens. And, so, yeah. you know, that's true in any form of racing. It's not just Formula One. You, in fact, it's far, far more dangerous to, to go rallying. It's far more dangerous to go racing Indy cars. Um, you know, but uh, Formula One is incredibly safe. Sure. Which makes it all the more weird when the low-hanging fruit of blind corners, close walls suddenly appears on the calendar. You go, that's... That feels unnecessary, to me, anyway. But look, email us, feedback at mistapex.net. Toby says, we don't want dead heroes. There you go. I agree with Toby. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Spa. Is Spa going to be okay? I mean, they've done loads of work to it. As long as the Dutch keep coming to motor races, Spa right. is okay. Seems like if they... The Dutch, s- if the Dutch <laughs> stop coming to motor races, Spa is in danger. They seem pretty keen still, Joe. Well, as as long as Max Verstappen is still around, they will be very keen. Yes, and you know that's the the, the Orange Army is saving a, quite a few races at the moment, and, and in fact, it's probably going to be uh, responsible fundamentally for a new German Grand Prix, which I think we will have uh, in time. But I think it will be an alternation deal with france if you want my honest opinion i think we'll have france one year and germany one year oh so paul ricard we lose once every two years which isn't a, mm-hmm. a tragedy either hockenheim or i don't know to be honest i haven't um i've just heard whispers that the the germans are into an alternation deal with the french so that's a pretty good deal the know, french can't the french can't can't cope with the cash required it's just it's too much and ricard is the wrong place so i mean as much as it's a jolly nice place to visit and it's a and it's a not a bad track um it is it's got a million things wrong with it so Mm. if they want to have a full-time grand prix they have to build a new circuit somewhere more sensible and they have to um have the money to do the race fees and that's a lot of money do you know the statistics for our podcast when there's a german grand prix it is the most downloaded race of the year our german grand prix review every single year Jawohl. Mm. i didn't know that well that's fascinating yeah. why, i wonder why that is. i don't know i've got no idea but every single year the german well, in grand that prix. case in, in that case in a few years time you'll probably get a few more yeah listeners them. brilliant a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's go to a few more listener questions there. This has all been very exciting and thrilling so far, Joe. Uh, I do like a bit of track news, but I think also people like to get into your knowledge of the team's. Because you kind of mm-hmm. you have a stalky kind of journalism, don't you? You don't sit there in the press conferences, going asking the questions. You lurk and you like pop out behind behind hospitality. Go, aha, Stefano, tell me the things. And also, I have a photo of you in a compromising position in Las Vegas, so you have to tell me. That's your no, style. It's, it's not quite like that. No. Yes, I, I, I de- as you will notice if you watch press conferences, you you'll rarely ever hear me ask a question because what's the point? Everybody gets the answer. I don't want to give the answer to other people, <laughs> so I ask different questions to different people in different environments, and I get better answers. So, which I don't have to share until I'm ready to. So obviously that's that's a, that's a something I'm fortunate because I've been around a long time. I can do it. But if you're a new guy on the block, you can't do what I do because you don't have access to the people. You don't have the relationships that you built up over a long period of time. Um, you know, if I walk down the paddock, I will come out the other end each time, every single time with at least one news story. Um, it's just the way of the world. You have a chat here, a chat there. And uh, people actually quite often want to chat because news gathering is also a give and take process, which is they want to know what I know on other respects and you know they'll tell me something if i tell them something so we're kind of bartering information <laughs> and uh it works out quite well i love the thought you've got, you've got to be at the races <laughs> yeah so you you are not like a a neutrally kind of oh i just love everybody kind of journalist either in the past you've disliked certain team bosses and you've been more than happy to say so and uh, so i get oh there's your telephone there's one of those bosses now is that VJ Malia? <laughs> no. Okay. No, it's actually an alarm saying that I should put the podcast on, but I don't quite know where it's gone off now because it's already started. Yeah, you would have. Anyway, been there late. you go. Yeah. Um, if, go ahead. if you dislike, uh, you know, a, a team principal, for example, does it make make it more difficult to to get information on that team? And do, does your relationship Not, with the teams tend to dictate the stories that you? Not put really, out? because generally speaking, if I dislike somebody, they're they're quite unlikable and right. then you'll find you'll find people in the team who will happily tell you stuff because they don't like the boss either so um i don't fall out with very many people i try not to anyway i have neutral relationships with one or two and i have a couple of bad relationships at any given time but if you're if you're not if you're not um being honest and critical you're not doing the job properly yeah. and the, the 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 correct reaction to that is to listen as opposed to uh, be offensive to the journalist. So people who are offensive, people who tell me lies, what's the point in dealing with people who tell you lies? There's no point because they just mis- mislead you. So um, At the moment, there's one team uh, top person, let's put it that way. Yep. And I, I had a conversation about telling lies 
And I said, three times I asked the same question, three times he lied. And the final time I said, look, if you tell me a lie, I know this is true. I know it's true. <laughs> so you lie again. I'm not coming back to ask ever again. So that's your choice. Uh-huh. You know, make your own decision. He made the decision. Therefore, I don't go ask. So if he complains about, well, you got this wrong about my team, I'll say, tough. I don't believe you. Why would I talk to you? Can you name which nine teams this isn't about? I could. <laughs> I'm not going to. Uh, okay, no, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't impact on you. If you if you think the guy does a good job, even if you don't like him, that's fine. You should say that. <clears throat> There's people I don't necessarily like, but I say, okay, he's done a good job. But if there are people who are worthless um, from a moral point of view, um, okay, no, savage. No, it's it's it's. There mm. are Formula One attracts a certain kind of person, and some of them are completely amoral. Um, and they will do anything for success. And therefore, if you believe that sport is something that is sporting, mm-hmm. um, these are the wrong kind of people. So you're bound to have some clashes along the way. So there's some guesses in our live chat, uh, but they're all really? they're all the same person. So we'll probably just leave <laughs> Who's it. Who's that? We'll Go on, I'd love to hear. That. Everyone's just saying Christian Horner. No, absolutely oh, not. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. No. Well, it just so happens that our next question does talk about a team. And I haven't picked this team to go to next because I'm trying to allude to anything at all. Uh, But Jasper just says, can Uncle Joe, I love that that's catching on, sign of respect, Joe. Can Uncle Joe give his take on the situation at Aston Martin? Otmar Otmar leaves. (laughs) Vettel seemingly is unwilling to drive. The dreadful state, that's not true, obviously. The dreadful state of the car and the rumours about the team being fed up with Papa Stroll's continuous involvement in every discussion, technical or otherwise, basically telling people what to do. And Tyre Squirt says, we need info on what's going on with Lawrence Stroll. Why is he taking part in technical discussions? From the outside, Joe, it does seem a bit odd. That's all. Uh, most of that I would agree with. Um, I don't know if he's taking part in technical discussions, really. If he is, he, he's nine parts bonkers. Um, but uh, you can never have a team boss and a racing dad being the same oh, person. Yeah. It's a really bad combination. Um, and even, you know, even if even if Vladimir Putin hadn't invaded Ukraine, I think that was a similar problem happening down the road at Haas. Uh, where, where where Daddy Mazepin was was um, stirring the pot rather too often. Now I understand it's their money, but you know if you're gonna if you're gonna put money into a racing team and want to use it for something, you have to trust people to do it for you and do mm. it properly because you don't know. You may yeah. think you know how to do stuff, and there are some people like that who you know think they are God's gift to everything. Um, and you know some people might say that about Lawrence Stroll. But um, one thing I can say is that Lawrence Stroll's ability to have good relationships with people doesn't seem to be awfully strong. So his recent, who was there before Otmar Schaffnauer? I can't remember the, the, the gentleman's name, but he... Before Otmar? Yeah. It was like 15 years ago. Yeah. Who was the team principal before that? Oh, I've forgotten who it is. Someone anyway, someone came out saying some tell-all story. Ed- the last one would have been sort of Eddie Jordan, I think. Oh, right. Okay. Well, they're not a team principal. <laughs> so long ago. Someone yeah. lower down the chain. But that certainly seems to be the, the impression that's being given is, uh, is that it's a difficult relationship from the top down. But if I'm the boss of Aston Martin, regardless of whether it's my son, I've put a lot of money into there. So should I not expect a little bit better than what's happening now? No. What, what, if, you, if you're a rich person who's bought a team for your son, now, if it, if the fundamental purpose of that team is to promote Aston Martin cars and not to give your son a racing car drive to play with, um, 
then he then that's fine. But you know, you can spend all the money you want and, and bring in all the people you want, but will they create a better team than Otmar put together over 15 years? That's mm-hmm. a very good question. You know, ultimately, maybe it will. Maybe if you put money behind the existing uh, setup, you get a better result. Maybe you want to build a super team for the future and think you can do it. Fair enough. We'll see. Right now, it's not looking great. But that doesn't mean it won't be great. It depends if all the people you put together create uh, forge into a team or they don't. And one of the key elements in team building is to have drivers who inspire. Yeah. Now, if if the team is not inspired by its drivers, one or the other, because be honest here, um, if I was running a team, I wouldn't necessarily hire Sebastian Vettel um, because he he had his high points. But in, in recent years, he's made lots and lots of mistakes. So, you know, there, you have to be inspired. You have to go the extra mile. Um, with you know, a driver who who makes you want to do it. Now, my question is, do they have the right driver pairing? Now, obviously, Lawrence Stroll believes they do. I believe they don't. So um, there's a lot more people who, who, I don't know, I think an awful lot of people feel the way I feel. But then again, what do we know? We're not his dad, you know. No, we can wildly speculate, though. Sebastian Vettel lost to lost out in the driver battle to Daniel Ricardo. hard to judge because that was the beginning of the turbo hybrid era uh, struggled at Ferrari against Lewis Hamilton spun lots arguably lost the titles through mistakes uh, then got usurped by Charles Leclerc and beat Lance Stroll last season by nine points only um, and I know he had a, some time adjusting getting to that car but I think you might have a point there Joe that that the Vettel probably, I know he's very popular, but he probably doesn't quite carry that four-time world champion uh, tag in skill terms n- now, like present day. No, I don't think, I mean, the thing is that Sebastian, all these guys are good. And I'm not saying that Lance Stroll isn't good, but not all these guys are the full package to be world champions and to be race winners. And that's the difference. You know, the whole way down the grid, you can find, I can think of only two of the current drivers who in I would have questions about in the top cars. Look, look Lewis Hamilton can't do anything in the Mercedes as it currently is. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So you are car dependent to a large extent. Now there are drivers who perhaps shouldn't be in formula one and are there because they have rich daddies or whatever. But, you know, occasionally you'll have a rich daddy driver who is good enough, but Generally speaking, one of the elements that is missing, and probably the key element that's missing from rich kids, is the desire to be successful, because they've always had it given to them on a plate. So one of the things about being a successful Formula One driver is having all the elements in place and have the desire to want it, not not the desire to, I'll take it if it comes along, Mm. Um, a sense of entitlement you know, that, that rich kids have. The worst thing you can do for kids is to give them everything they want. Yep. Well, whilst we're talking about paid drivers, Joe, I, I, <laughs> I, look, I know what people are going to say to this. I know what people are going to, I know what you'll probably say to this, and it's going to be along the lines of, twas ever thus, Nicky Lauda was a paid driver, Alonso was a paid driver, they're all paid drivers. But we, you know what I mean when I say paid driver, I mean someone who's literally rocked up to an F1 team, put a bunch of money down and paid for the seat. I know people get a bunch of support uh, all throughout their racing careers. And even Lando Norris, you know, they personally, he, he was funded to go all the way up, but he was picked up by an F1 team and is paid. 
surely with the size of Formula One now being a truly global sport, an American-led sport in and amongst NFL, basketball, all that kind of stuff, surely we can get past this point now where you can just pay to enter. I can't imagine paying to get into the semi-finals of Wimbledon, paying to get on the LA Lakers. Surely we're coming to a point where this can end. Uh, yes and no, because an example of this is tennis. You know, if you're going to be a tennis professional at international level these days, you've got to go to all the right schools and spend your entire life doing it. You can't just be a normal person who picks up a tennis racket. Sure. Now, but we're going to just going to clarify, but you can't then buy your ticket into the New York Open. You have to qualify no, to get you, there. No, you yeah. have to have talent, but you, you know, that's what super licenses are. The fact is that some people can gain super licenses by being good enough, but not necessarily fully good enough. You know, so now you talked of <clears throat> you talked about Alonso uh, having money behind him. He didn't. He started out with nothing, but he was picked up. He was picked up by yeah. he was picked up by Renault. Um, Lewis Hamilton was picked up by McLaren. Yeah. Esteban Ocon. Yeah, there's there, and almost all of them actually didn't from wealthy backgrounds. A few did, and some of them have that balanced with their abilities, and some don't. And so I think that, and their attitudes as well. You know, the the attitude um, of uh, it'll just come to me because I'm I'm a superhuman. Um, you know, is is not the right attitude. You've got to work hard. And, um, you know, to, to, yeah, go on. to be able, I don't know what you're doing there. But, okay. Do you know what is, Joe? Um, to, you're, you're, to tapping, a, you're tapping the table and I'm just thinking of my edit later. And I was trying to mime oh, it to you so oh, that okay. it didn't, but now everyone knows what you were doing. Um, so you're back anyway. The internet just froze for a second, but you're saying, yeah, it's the attitude as well. Well, the attitude is not as well. The attitude is key to success. The attitude is fundamental to to winning and you know nobody nobody wins races because they just happen to well maybe if i win a race it'd be good you know they they go out and they win races and it means a lot to them which is you see sometimes sometimes you think god that's an excessive reaction when a guy wins a race but it's not for them because their whole life is based on winning races so you know, and okay, you can say sometimes these race winners are a little bit lucky. So, you know, you can do the Gasly, you can do the Ocon thing. But what they've proved is that they can do it. When the situation uh, is there, they can do it. Um, others haven't done that. So, you know, but I think you're right. I think that as time goes by and money becomes less of an issue, because we are getting to an age when Formula One teams will become or could should become self-sufficient then the choice of drivers. Um, it can always relate to a profit margin, I suppose. If a driver comes along and pays a lot and the team owner thinks, well, I'll just put that in my pocket, that's fine. But the fact is that if they want to be successful, you want the best possible combination of everything. So I think you're probably right. We will see fewer. We, we haven't got very many of them now, to be honest. There's, there's, there were three. Yeah. Um, now, now there's two. And... Um, of the 20, that's that's a small percentage, really. Uh, it, it is. If you, want, if you want names, I'll give you names. Mazepin was one. Yep, Latifi. Uh, Latifi is one. And, and Stroll. And yeah. Stroll is the third one, yes. Cool. Okay, so I'm really encouraged by the fact that when Mazepin dropped out, we didn't get a pay driver come in. We had Kevin Magnussen come in, who seems to be on the pace straight away. And I'm just like looking at the column two payments, and that's is that mm -hmm. the one that's based on places? So mm -hmm. if you if you finish a, a couple of places higher in the table, 
that that's like you know can be ten million dollars, for example. So no, it's not. It's not usually that high. Oh, but isn't it? It, it okay. can be. It can be five-ish. Yeah, up sure. the top end. Up the top end, it can be ten. But the kind of guys who are driving at top end teams don't make that much difference. So, um, you know. So yeah, if 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 Haas finished last this last year, they finished tenth, and this year they finished fifth. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that will be a massive, massive uh, increase in in revenue for them. It that will be an extra thirty or forty million probably. <clears throat> Yeah. And that's a lot. So yeah. in that respect, you don't need a pay driver because if Kevin Magnuson can come in and do that kind of a job, um, and also the other thing is to bring a team together to make a team work. Kevin Magnuson is a is a, a guy that team love. Yeah, they, they love him. They yeah. love him. Yeah. They love him. And they love having him there. They feel that he is somebody who can lead them, who can make it happen. And uh, perhaps they didn't feel the same way with Mazepin. Is that is that a very a soft perhaps there perhaps Joe? I was being kind. He's had a hard time of late. So Mazepin gave about what six seven million for his seat, roughly ballpark. I I have no idea. Probably it sounds more. No, no, it doesn't sound anywhere near enough. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, it sounds like it's got to be double figures at least. Otherwise, you know, it's probably even more than that. All right. Well, let's let's move away from pay drivers then. Feedback at mistapex.net. And I just want to make a couple of points clear just to fend off any emails is that I wasn't saying Alonso, Arcon, etc. were pay drivers. I'm saying is that people make the argument, oh, all drivers are pay drivers. So my definition is if you are paid for who you are, you get the money for who you are, you're a pay driver. If you get funding because of what you can do, I don't class that as a pay driver. So maybe I need a different term to, to talk about what I'm saying. Because every time I say pay driver, I always get this. A, we've always had pay drivers. So we we had really bad things in history. Let's, we got rid of them. Uh, and then the other one is they're all technically pay drivers. Okay. So I'll try and yeah, hide think, that off I of think, the past. I think one thing that you should say is that in the history of Formula One, certainly as long as I've been around, which is rather a long time now, uh, there's never been a more talented field of drivers across you know from one from one end to the other they're you know they're still even if they're paid drivers they're still pretty good they're not the full package necessarily but they're much better than the old days when somebody would turn up with a pile of money and get given a car at the back and they'd be five seconds off the pace you know it's not like that anymore you have to be good enough and also you have to get a super license and that's you know it's not easy to do you wouldn't want a paid driver coming in and just causing safety car after safety car would you uh nicely put (laughs) Uh, let's move on. Another question from the listeners. Okay, this is interesting. New teams. Let's talk new teams. Andrew Smith asks, uh, Dominicali said that not only Andretti are interested in joining F1. Does Uncle Joe have an idea who these are? Audi? Rich, yes. Rich Energy Honda? Who's who's coming in, Joe? And I just want to put in Barrisman's question there because it's related. I want to know if there are any insights on the FOM's take on an 11th team joining the grid. But I'll add 12th, 13th, how far could it go? Okay, well, the rules and rules and commercial agreements are very clear. It can go as far as 12. The commercial agreements mean that if you want to be the 11th or 12th team, you have to uh, give the money up front to redistribute the prize fund. In other words, uh, you have to provide sufficient money to pay what you will be taking out. In other words... It is to to make sure that the teams don't lose out by letting somebody else in. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you're going to earn it back over time. So, yes, it's a, it's a high barrier of entry. 
Um, but you don't want rubbish teams coming in. So, in fact, at the end of the day, it's not F1 Group who decide these things. It's the FIA. The FIA looks at people who are making um, proposals and say, this will work, this will not work. And they ask for all kinds of stuff. Now, Andretti is one team that everyone's heard of. And last I heard, Andretti was talking about basing itself in the United States of America. Well, meh, that's a great yeah. big red sign. Great big red sign on that one. And I don't know if the FIA would accept that because it's absolutely guaranteed to not to be successful. Um, You'd never get the staff, I suppose. Well, you, you might get the staff, but you're in a you're in a very difficult position of of not being in the cluster. You know, mm. you can be in you can be in a cluster in Charlotte. You can be in a cluster in Indianapolis, but it's not a Formula One cluster. It's a different kind of cluster. So you can do, if you're Andretti, you can do the kind of deal that Haas has done. But Haas is based, the racing team is based in Europe. The, the construction of the cars are done in Europe. The only thing that's done in the States is marketing and a little bit of R&D, I think. So you have to have the right package. So if you go with the wrong package, they'll turn you down, even if you've got the money. Now, the other thing is, if they had the money, they would have bought a team when all is said and done. Mm. Um, and, you know, we... we we just have to wait and see about that. But um, I think that um, the, I don't know how long it'll take. Um, I don't know how long it'll take. Sorry, I've just had a fascinating email that I can't talk about. Um, <laughs> it's strictly embargoed. It oh, comes from Formula One. There's group. a reflection in your glasses. Everybody zoom in. Yeah, well, if you, can read, if you can read the reflection in my glasses, you can read what it said, but I doubt you'll be able to. Well, do you know uh, what? I didn't... Do you know where the first place we'll hear that news is once we get it is on your green notebook or on your blog? So no, what... you may already have heard it. Oh, okay. Well, where should we go if we want to check out your blog anyway, Joe? It's always very good when you're on the road. Oh, Joe, blo- JoeBlogsF1.com. Okay. That always works. And if you want to know what the embargoed announcement is, I'm sure if you troll around there, you'll find it. So Text me, Joe. I promise I won't definitely immediately tweet it. We may have discussed it already this afternoon. Oh, whoops. Okay. Oh, I see. Right. In that case, we probably do know what it is. Okay. Our holiday. It's me and well, Joe's no, holiday. We, no, no. We did actually discuss more than one thing. Uh-huh. So we discussed several potential races. Okay. So we've talked about Andretti. Mark is asking, is McLaren Audi still a thing or is that off or was it never on? It's still in the Still uh, bubbling. And well, we- if you look at if you look at the board of of McLaren, go into a company's house and see who's on the board. You'll find two Volkswagen executives of previous generations who are already on it, so they're there for a reason. Um, I think that it's perfectly logical. We just have to wait for the new rules, the engine rules for twenty twenty six, to come. And uh, when when we get those, I think you'll start to hear from. Audi, I think you'll start to hear from Porsche, but I don't think Porsche will go uh, with their own team. Um, and I think Audi will, will try to buy McLaren. Nah, and, and, and just be called Audi. Um, that's another question. I don't know. Mm. But whatever, you know, it could be a McLaren Audi. Um, but then you have a problem with the car company as well. So it's a bit complicated, that particular case. Um, but there's also, there are, I've heard of a couple of other groups out there um, but whether they're strong enough to really warrant um, inclusion in Formula One is another question. Ah, speaking of another question, I've got a couple more to end on, Joe, if you've got the time, if you've got the patience, you've certainly got the expertise. Uh, let's see, this might lead to a conspiracy theory. Just uh, Marshall Rubin says, 
are the discussions between the drivers and the FIA regarding drive to survive and greater input on where the races are meaningful. So I think I think we've discussed and touched on the driver's input in Saudi. So we'll sort of leave that. But I, I think the drive to survive influence is interesting. Can you predict where that might go, Joe? Because they're now talking about a team principal parade mm-hmm. before one of the races. No, yeah. no one would have cared about a team principal parade if it was not for drive to survive. Is the tail- well, who's, the, who's the biggest star in Formula One? You tell me. Well, it's Lewis Hamilton and Max yeah. Verstappen, but after that, who's the biggest star? Well, it's, it's been the it's been the Toto and Christian show, hasn't it? No, no, no. Who do you think? It's the Gunter Steiner show. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, no, no, he's he's the guy who comes out of it all with the nicest image of all. He's just a, a racer, uh, crazy guy, character, strange accent. The the, the if you look at if you look at. Um, um, Christian, he sort of comes out as dastardly and everyone's looking for his muttley. Yeah, boo, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Christian doesn't come out of it well, necessarily. He might think he does. I don't know. I haven't asked him. Uh, and Toto comes across as being, you know, sort of um, uh, very serious about what he does. And, and at the end of the day, the whole thing is good for Formula One. People who won't get involved in it are cutting off their nose despite their face, if you like. And that's what Ferrari and... Um, well, Verstappen, Ferrari, yeah. it, well, Verstappen has said he won't do anything. Yeah, as well. yeah. Verstappen now, Verstappen now, Verstappen nowadays. He, you know, but they'll still he'll still be there. He just won't be focused on now. And the argument there is that, that he's not presenting. They're not presenting the image he wants to present. Well, yeah, perhaps, but um, for the good of Formula One, uh, you know, is Verstappen's image the same as Verstappen's image is on Netflix? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. To be honest, I find Mac Max to be perfectly charming, but I know lots of people who don't. Um, and I've known Max a very long time, so it probably helps. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like the image he portrays or don't like the way he drives or don't like the way he answers. I don't know. I don't care, to be honest. But I think that Formula One has gained enormously from Drive to Survive, and we should all yeah, be part of it. If we if we can be part of it, and even if some of the storylines are a little bit contrived, and even if you know it does create an impression about people that perhaps isn't the reality, well, if you want it to be the reality, be part of it, you know, and make that make that personality part of the show, not allowing them to mm. do what they want to do. So there's no way there's no way that Formula One's going to give up doing Drive to Survive. You know, it's, it's a fantastic bonus for the sport. It's the greatest thing we've had for years in this sport. And yeah, we have a completely new audience as a result of it. And we have to make that audience stick. The numbers bear that out. There is no doubt it's had a great effect. The danger is that the tail then wags the, the dog. Well, tails and dogs seem to wag a lot in Formula One, don't they? So Maybe they're wagging together. <laughs> E.L. Sion has a question. There's no way that's how that's pronounced, but I'm going to assume Welsh. So I hope this is a proper forum for a question. Yes, it is. There's a lot of talk about Verstappen's clean fights against Leclerc this season, as opposed to his dirty fights against Hamilton. And last year, the word respect was being thrown around a lot, suggesting that Verstappen doesn't respect Hamilton. Joe, what are your, what are your thoughts on this matter? Has he been reined in, Joe? Has someone said, you can't race like that this season? We let it go last season. No, I don't think so. I think he's probably just... just... <sighs> He is uh, he he respects Lewis, and I think Lewis respects him. 
And they got very stressed at the end of last year. Everybody got stressed at the end of last year. The end of last year was a, was, um, a horrible time in Formula One. It was great for the sport, but it was not a pleasant place to be. And there was a certain element of bitterness going on from Silverstone onwards. Um, and that was amplified far too much in some places in the media as well. So, um, but Charles and Charles and Max have been racing like that since they were about 10 years old. So <laughs> they, they already know that they fell out a few times along the way, but fundamentally they go to the limit and not beyond it. I think the difference between this year and last year was that Max had never been a world champion before. Yeah. And I think that he felt, he, he definitely felt aggrieved about what happened in Silverstone. But at the same time, I don't think that's necessarily 100% justifiable on his part, just as Lewis Hamilton could be upset about what happened in Monza. You know, there, there were at times when they both pushed absolutely to the limit. And some would argue that Max went over it on occasion. And a lot of people talked about Max in Saudi last year going over it. And it's really difficult to say where the limit is. That's the problem. You know, is putting your car where somebody else wants their car to be good racing or is it unethical? And that's really a matter of degree. And you have to look at each individual um, incident and say, that's too much. But there is no, you cannot have a cut and, a cut and defined line about what's right and what's wrong on every single issue. They're different. And, and that's why, um, I mean, I would say sometimes Max was this close. And maybe even this much over. Okay, for the audio but listeners, only... he's putting his fingers very close together. Because as far as they knew, you could have had your fingers very far apart. That's all. Just making okay. it clear. All right, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I thought everyone was watching on television. So, no, yeah. most audio. What do I know? Do I know? Um, and you're the technical bod anyway. So um, that's, the, that's it. It's, it's, not, it's not cut and dried. But you can build relationships with race directors that, that, that will find the right solution now formula one and race direction is right now is a is a humongous great mess because the new system um well they've thrown the previous one under the bus and the and the new selection of people is um confused uh they're going to have different opinions and i have still no idea what the eye in the sky does um or you know the the uh virtual refugee or not referee that's the one (laughs) (laughs) yeah I have no idea how that could possibly work. And you're gonna if you have three race directors, you're gonna have mm. three opinions. Yeah, uh, this, it doesn't. It just doesn't work. It, it's it's wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. You want to have one race director who has an opinion, and he is the right opinion, and you have to accept his. Otherwise, you're just going to get into a mess where people say it's inconsistent. I already heard Fred Vasseur saying it's not right that that uh, Guan Yu Zhou was was given a penalty because that's not how it was before. Well, that's inconsistency. That is highlighting the inconsistency of having different race directors. I mean, Lance Stroll very clearly turned in on Alex Albon and got a penalty for, uh, and and it was Albon that got the penalty for going down the inside. No way that is going to be judged consistently like that all through that through the season. Funny you should mention that because I actually agree with you on that one. Mm. I thought that that was, um, but they have more information than sure. we do, to be honest. But it certainly looked to me <laughs> like. Um, it was a, at least it was 50 50. And at best, I, I thought that Albon had just done a, a good move. Yeah. Um, and I was a bit surprised, to be honest. But that's what it is. You know, they've got more 
You, you, we have to respect people. If you go, to, you can't go to race control, but if you go to race control <laughs> yeah. and you see what they have, you, you think, how the hell can they ever get anything wrong? There's so much information. There's so much ability to, to um, change things. And there's so much talent too. I mean, that's the other thing. There's an awful lot of experience and there's talent. There's a lot of very, very good people involved. But I still think even if there's good people, you need to have one consistent decision maker. Now, in, in terms of the stewarding, and that's a decision of the stewards, not the race director, the punishment, um, mm-hmm. there, are, there are four major stewards, if you like. And they do a rotating, you know, whatever, uh, eight, seven or eight races each, um, each year. So they have, they're the most experienced ones. And the other stewards are generally less experienced, but some of them are drivers, which is important. And we have the same drivers keep going too. So it's kind of, it's kind of like two of the stewards are pretty well experienced people. And the third ones are generally experienced. The national ones are not, mm. but then the national ones, obviously they get outvoted if there's a, an incident, which is stewards decide by vote on these things. So, um, you know, if, if the local hero has a view, um, he might well be overruled if his view is not um, in line with everybody else. So it, I think it's a very good system. I think that that, um, that you don't want to have a permanent single permanent steward because then you have bias in it, on it. But having four well-informed and interconnected stewards who discuss everything with each other, I think you're in a good place. But I think you need to have one race director. Has, uh, has, did Lewis have a point when he talked about certain stewards travelling with certain drivers and being far too close? Uh, did he have a point? I'm just trying to think of any stewards travelling with drivers. I, I think it was levelled. Der- Derek Warwick was the... Derek the Warwick. I yeah. went out for dinner with Derek Warwick. Does that make me biased? Uh, I actually went out. I went out for dinner in Abu Dhabi with Derek Warwick oh, and okay. two of the stewards. Is that made uh, me biased? Yes, I don't know. No. I'm guessing. Here. No, it no, doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. it doesn't at all. It just means that, that I like having dinner with people who I who I'm around the scene with, um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, so long as it doesn't impact on your on your decision making process. If I thought Derek Warwick had made a wrong decision, I would say Derek Warwick, you made a wrong decision. Well, it depends who paid for dinner, I suppose, doesn't it, Joe? Not really, because you know you can pay for dinner sometimes. They can pay for dinner other times. Yeah, but, he said. He said, oh, "I'll get this, Joe." But when you go on Miss Apex, you make sure you say I'm a good egg. That's how it went no, down. I know. That's not. I wasn't born yesterday, not, Joseph. That's that's not how it works. But <laughs> if you want to believe that, that's up to you. Uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tosh talked in the in the in the social media um, about this, that, and the other. But you know, who you go and socialise with is really irrelevant. Um, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea if, if Lewis Hamilton went out to dinner occasionally with Max Verstappen. Maybe. They used to, in the old days, drivers used to go out and have dinner together. Actually, they're quite close together nowadays. They're closer than they were in the past. But I think that just as in all matters in life, if you talk about things with people, the problems tend to go away. Joe, do you feel like today I've just come across as just a generally better informed pundit? I say yes, this benefits you. Yes, yes. J- yeah, Joe's saying yes. That's because you've been kind enough to be sending me your your monthly newsletter, which you kind of give their inside and early scoop my, my on. My weekly newsletter. Is it weekly, is it? Yeah, so uh, I, you... I don't read so good, so I can only read it once a month. But it is it is, <laughs> it is incredible, uh, an incredible news source. I know it's aimed at the industry, but people can subscribe to your 
newsletter. You can. It's a hefty whack. If you, want, if, you, if you want to know what's going on in the sport of Formula One and having it weeks ahead of everybody else, that's the way to do it. Yes, it costs money, but, you know, you choose. It's quite you, can go to, you can go and eat ice cream every day of the year and, and spend the same kind of money. So it's up okay. to you what you want to do. Okay. But if you, want, if you want really good info, where do, I, where do I send – where do people go on the internet, Well, you Joe? go to flatoutpublishing.com, which is really easy, and you look for a thing called JSBM. Yeah, there you go. And you can buy it. And it arrives on your desk at 9 o'clock every morning on – every Monday morning after a race as well. And, yes, it's an industry thing that industry people read, but but, but a lot of fans read it as well. So, there you go. Um, because they like to be able – they like to go down the pub and say to their mates, you'll never guess what's going to happen. Yeah. That's and it's a I'm... bit like, you know, whatever it is that I just got a, <laughs> a, message a, um, a message about. I've already written about that. So, you know, <clears throat> I'm not going to say what it is, but I've already written about it on a number of occasions. And uh, I'm very happy because it makes me feel good. I, oh, look, I got something right. <laughs> exactly. No, but, you know, that's actually what I do all the time. My, my aim is to always get it right and always be ahead of the announcements. And you are actually an independent content creator because you own and run GP Plus magazine, which is why you go to the Grand Prix. And we can subscribe mm-hmm. to that. This is the best time to subscribe because you only do year a year or nothing, don't you? Subscription. Yeah, we, no, we do year we do year by year okay. subscription. So twenty twenty two. Yeah. The earlier in the year you buy, you still get all the magazines, but you get them when the races happen. Okay. As opposed to as opposed to if you subscribe at the end of the year, you only get them all the all the old ones that have already happened. So, but it is absolutely the best time to, and it's it's ninety pages, hundred pages long, and it comes out about six hours after every race. I mean, what more do you want? It's got great photography. It's got opinions and and uh, stories. It, we have old-fashioned race reports so that you can actually f- remember what happened as opposed to the modern race reports you see in magazines where it's all bit points and paragraphs and you're trying to put it together later on. If you look back, you have no clue what happened in a race if you read a modern magazine because it's based on the theory that you watched it on telly. Mm. And, and so you, without yeah. the telly, you, you don't know what the hell happened because all you've got is a couple of you know sort of bullet points. Um and trying to remember how it happened is a bit difficult. The thing I like the most about it is it's handwritten and personally delivered to your house by one of Joe's staff. Okay, uh, go and, and search. It's handwritten, handwritten. It's it's in PDF format, or you can read it on one of those pagey turny things, which are jolly and clever. There'll be a link but, in the show um, notes below if I remember. Marvelous, marvelous. This is what we like to see. Joseph, uh, just yeah, put yeah. in a, put in a link to the JSBM newsletter too, because that is you know for, for super fans that's the thing. Anyway, the the um the other good news I want to just pop in at the end here is that now that the pandemic is beginning to get less serious, the original audience concept, i.e. meeting up and doing it live, is coming back. So if you are a fan and you want to come and ask me questions, um I have one in Melbourne. Ah. In, at the end of at the end of next week, you come along, you ask loads of questions, you drink some beer or wine depending on whether you're snob or not. And then you have a lovely time and everyone goes home wiser for it. And I I go home happier. I've been to those. I do enjoy them. But we're also going to be putting on our online version again. Now you have internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, But don't worry. I do the technical stuff for Joe. So he just says stuff. Uh, I I just help with some emceeing. Yeah, I mean, it it is because I can't go everywhere because there's only so many hours in the day and so many days in the year. I think virtual audiences are a really good idea too. But I hope to do more this year. Um, going 
to, to actually see people, meet people, because I get a kick out of that too. Um, I may be a bit strange saying that, but um, <laughs> in terms of Formula One mentality, where you know the, the fans are just sort of ghastly people, get out of the way. Uh, my view is, well, let's go meet a few and have some fun. It is definitely good fun. Thank you for your time, Joe. Check the links in the show notes below. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. We'll be back on Sunday with a little bit of tech time, a little bit of uh, driving focus, and also, of course, all the news that pops up between now and Sunday. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This is Mistake Apex Podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.